Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. This episode of HR Oxygen is brought to you by the Boss Builders University. If you're looking to train up your supervisors and managers, please check out our newest offering, The Art of Being a Great Boss. In this 13-month program, I'll be taking your managers through our driving results curriculum, and that includes topics on communication, performance management, motivation, delegation, problem-solving, decision-making, team development, and much more. The sessions are virtual, running one hour each month, and I'll do it using our popular sketch and seminar, graphic art and storytelling format. No boring PowerPoint, stale stories, and outdated tools and techniques. The sessions are engaging and provide tactical, practical tools that can be used immediately after the sessions. You can either have your entire organization take our program or... If you just have a few folks, join one of our open enrollment cohorts that start every other month. For more information, visit us online at thebossbuilders.com. Well, our guest today was originally going to be talking to us about overcoming obstacles. And as we started to talk today, we actually started to deviate a little bit more to what Tina does for a living. And it turns out we decided to launch this episode as How to Avoid Death by PowerPoint. Now, that was my creative title. Hopefully, Tina likes it. But it's very evident that the state of learning today sucks. It's death by PowerPoint. It's a speaker walking around with a clicker reading slides to a sleeping audience, something we desperately have tried to avoid here at Boss Builders. But talking to a professional facilitator, wow, it was really eye-opening to listen to the science behind why we need to do something different. Tina's an expert. She's been training for a very long time, and it was great having her share some tips and techniques with me, and now we can pass those along to you. Lots of practical advice in this one, so this is a great one to take notes on. Let's quit talking about Tina. Let's talk to her. It's time for us to buckle up the seatbelt. Make sure the personal items underneath that seat in front of you. We're about to taxi to the runway, so get ready for takeoff. Should the cabin lose pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the overhead area. Please place the mask over your own mouth and nose before assisting others. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast, the show focused on the overworked, overwhelmed, and underappreciated HR professional. And now, here is the host of our show, the boss builder, Mac Monroe. Tina Clements, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I'm really glad we could reconnect. Uh, we had this plan and then we moved it around a little bit, but yet here we are. No technical difficulties as far as I know today. Uh, technical difficulties are nothing more than just obstacles. And that's really going to be the subject of our talk today is overcoming obstacles. So, Tina, you've got a really interesting background. What you do today is interesting, even in how it developed. And so before we start talking about overcoming obstacles, I was wondering if you could just take us on the journey of how you got from where you were. So talk about that to what you're doing today. First of all, great transition. You are the master. That was that was a brilliant setup. The And thank you again for allowing me to, to join you today. My uh, story, I won't go back to to birth, but I realized pretty early on that I would always be in the people business. I don't know that I recognize that, but that's just the course that I followed throughout my career. And after college, I went back to the radio cable station for which I had worked during the summer as a receptionist a couple of times and basically walked in and begged for a job because I had no plan. 
I had no plan. Mac. When I graduated, I wasn't that guy. And they said, sure, come on in. And they paid me no money to do everything, which I may have resented at the time. But looking back, it was fabulous because I learned the ins and outs of business and treatment and humans and whatnot and did everything from on air to scheduling commercials, et cetera. From there, I went to HBO and I had a coordinator job. And thankfully there, that's where everything flipped. Somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, you should be in training. And I said, what, what, is, what does that mean? What is training? I had no idea that adults continued to learn and develop after they went to work. I thought that ended with college and that was the end of it. So I was taught what LMD was and adult learning and how to facilitate and became one of uh, many who would go into Cablevision or Comcast cable systems and teach about the product or how to sell or how to be a leader, et cetera. And that really gave me the chops on how to facilitate in a way that adults actually would learn, become engaged and apply. From there, I went to Volkswagen and that was hilarious because it was kind of the same tap on the shoulder. Hey, you should try this. And I laughed and I went, how do you spell torque? And what is what is a differential? Do I didn't know anything about cars. And quite frankly, I still even when I was teaching product, I can say this now for Volkswagen. I was just uh, kind of, you know, going, yes, that sounds like a good answer. <laughs> 17 or hey, everyone, what do you think the answer is? It was product was not my folk, my my skill set. It was the people and and the how and, of course, leadership and sales training and whatnot. From there, got tapped to do to go to BMW, sales training from their mini within the BMW fray. So again, all people oriented, always learning and development, adult learning until human resources came along at BMW. And I got the tap there as well. And they said, you should lead performance management. And once again, I said, what is, what is performance? So I learned because of course, typical me, ready, fire, aim. I said, sure, and I jumped before realizing what the job was. And it was, um, at that time, it was the hardest choice to be successful there because it was a human resources can be overwhelming. And it was, and it can be wildly emotional and it was, and it can be incredibly learning and it was. And then ultimately from there is when the BMW group tapped me and said, hey, we're starting this new organization. It's a consultancy, half owned by us and half owned by another company. Do you want to start it up in the United States? And now you know me. Of course, I said yes. Training, coaching, consulting, L&D, creative services. It was in everything that I was swimming around in. I just had never run it on my own and created something from scratch. So that was the path that got me to eight years ago when we launched RPC. And the I believe all of the failures and the obstacles that I experienced along that journey is why we as a company and why I feel to be a success today, because it was not an easy road. And I would jump again. I would jump without planning. I would jump without asking. Uh, Sometimes that worked out. Most of the time it didn't. And I I had to learn from all of those errors and mistakes. And I was able to apply them into the company today. So that was a thank you for asking the question, Mac, because that I was able to just walk down memory lane there for a second, uh, which brings <laughs> brings us to today. So again, always in the people business, no matter what, no matter what the topic or client might have been. 
But much of what you've done is all in the training space, right? So much of it is in within learning and development, either facilitating myself, content development, or working with the client to help them develop their ideal need. But yes, so much of it is around that space. And then coaching, of course, is a big complement to that. Consulting, well, there's always consulting uh, to get to the ideal prescription, which is a lot of the time training, learning and development. Yes. So as you went through this, and obviously you're the kind of person that dives in and learn as you go, where did you get all of your information on things like adult learning and content development? Did you did you just figure it out on your own? Did you read books? How did you figure this out? I was really blessed in the beginning. A lot of it was watching and observing people who were very good. And back at HBO, we were really allowed to shadow each other and travel in the beginning. So this was back in the 90s. And there was there was opportunity and financial support to, to be able to do that. And so I really learned by watching. And there were a couple of courses I took, but the, I would say what really helped me the most, the most was Dave Meyer. His book, Accelerated Learning, really enabled me to understand that adults do learn a different way. I really was approaching life up until that point, believing that everyone thought like me and everyone learned like me, which is A, the most narcissistic comment I think I've ever said out loud, but that's how so many humans roll through this, you know, living on this planet, especially the learning part. Everyone learns differently. And if you Google adult learning styles, you'll typically get bark, visual, auditory, reading, writing, and kinesthetic, which are the four primary. There are a multitude of others. And by reading his book and, and learning from him, I really understood that anytime I was engaging another human being, I have to be aware that that person was taking in information in a different way, probably differently than I am communicating it. And so I had to quickly figure that out and then adjust to be able to ensure that the audience not only heard what I was saying, it was taking it in, but would retain it and apply it later. Yeah. So, so adult learning styles, going back to those for a second, the way people train today, so most training that I have sat through is a room full of people, there's a trainer with a remote control in their hand and they're clicking their PowerPoints and reading the slides to the audience. Mm -hmm. Which learning style does that actually appeal to? Could be, could be reading, could be read for sure. Uh, because if a lot of, so many times we make the mistake of thinking that a PowerPoint slide needs to be a novel and should have all of the content information and people clickety click and they put it up there and then they speak to it. So the, 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 really there's no benefit even to a reading style because the reading style person who is trying to read and interpret is, is uh, distracted by having to listen to this person chirp on, right? So I'll be honest with you, something like that, it's, it's rough. It's really rough. Yes, auditory, because there is some, you, you are taking in some sounds, but there has to be a time, even for an auditory learner or a reading writing learner to be able to speak what they are hearing. So, because why? The auditory learners listen to themselves. So there needs to be a pause. There, I cannot really think of an ideal example to get what you want as a facilitator to just go clackety clackety clack click clackety clackety clack typically there are and i'm sure you can hear the police siren in the background we get them over here too and trains too yeah you'll hear it probably 
uh, you're probably going to get a second one in a, in a second, everyone. The, the, the human, humans can focus for about two minutes. And that's when this little habit called daydreaming could potentially set in if we're not hitting the learning styles. After about eight minutes to, what is it now? Somebody Google this for me. Uh, up to about 20 minutes, the blood in your body, if you stay seated and you're not contributing and you're not moving, the blood starts to rush to the central point of gravity, which happens to be your tush. So it's going away from your brain. And so to just clickety-clack on, you're, you're losing it, man. There's really not a lot of benefit. Unfortunately, so many of us, especially subject matter experts, who are so passionate about our subject, we've never been taught to do it any differently. That's what we've experienced. So we think that's the right way to go. So we clickety-clack our way through life when there is a much different, much better way to engage. So without giving away too many of your secrets, what would be like an ideal sequence? So let's say we're teaching somebody how to give feedback to an employee. Mm -hmm. So I have my PowerPoint slides with my bulleted list, and maybe there's a little piece of clip art in there for emphasis. And I got a few people sitting in the room. Uh, the bloods they're sitting on their blood now, from what you said. Okay, so it's a class, and we're teaching how to give feedback. Yes. We're, we want to move from the static way that most people do it. So yes. if we have, say, 30 minutes to teach this, what would be like an ideal sequence? The It's a great question. And funny enough, this is my favorite class that we do teach. And even though I, we have facilitators who work with us who teach it, sometimes I volunteer because this is coincidentally one of my favorite topics when we are working with leaders. That said, this particular, you could just write this in a bulletin. Here's how you give feedback. Here are the eight steps here. Goodbye. And call that training. And so many organizations do that. The ideal way for this particular topic, it takes some time and it is live and there's more than eight people there and you have them. There's the 80-20 rule, which is 20% is the presentation. 80% is performance, meaning they are actually taking it in. There are statistics out there that prove when people do, they retain. So in this case, the cadence would be something like this. You would first have to set the expectations as to why we're doing it and you get the engagement from the group. And then we teach the what. So gang, this is this is what we just told you why we're doing it. This is the what. Here are the steps. There are actual steps when we give performance feedback. Here's what they are. This is where it's okay to clickety-clack. Now, this is another podcast to just work on the PowerPoints themselves. One slide per piece, discuss and show them what it is. Then in between, if there's conversation, if people want to get up and move, let them do that. People, Adults are babies in big bodies, which is a quote from Dave Meyer. If you've ever seen a four-year-old tell a story they're using their body, mind, and spirit, their entire selves. So Mac, I'm going to the store and then I'm going to go. They're completely engaged. Adults are no different. So we need to ensure that we're hitting all those factors, even if we are just talking and giving them information. Once that's done, then we can do, there's a couple of different ways to go. Now we wanna break it up into different segments so we can have them break out and say, okay, gang, now what we wanna do is have you, uh, we're gonna give this group over here steps one, two, and three. We're gonna give this group over here four, five, and six. We're gonna give this, whatever it is. So we're gonna break up the ideal language to use in those things. And then you're gonna report back out. So now what we're doing 
is the kinesthetic learners, of course, the moving, the somatic learners are engaged. The visual learners, they saw me, they saw what was on the screen, and now they can draw pictures if they want to. They can read more stories and see, pick, they can watch a video if they want to as they're in their group. The reading writing learners, by the way, the writing learners are writing everything that you're saying. Let them go. That's, even if you're handing them the words that you're saying, let them write. They need to, that's, that's connected to the brain. Let them do it. And then they'll probably want to. So this is what I have. And let them talk in the group. The, the auditory learners, they're going to want to talk as well. So just by having the group activity, there's engagement, there's movement, the blood is flowing, and you're hitting all of the different learning styles. Then when they report back out, this is one of my favorite training tactics. Now they're teaching you. Teachers remember. When you teach something, there's that 90% chance that you retain it and you own it because people believe their own data. So if you can incorporate an environment where people are teaching back, that is, and guess what? You as a facilitator, you're not doing the work. You can leave not having laryngitis and not exhausted at the end of the day. But this is the ideal way to get people engaged. And then ultimately, and there's there are different techniques and ideas, is you need to get them to do it. And for, for a performance feedback, it's ideal to do it in a triad. So you have someone who is the 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 um, giving the feedback, one is receiving, and then a coach. And that coach is taking the notes. And after the engagement's over and you go through the steps, and now I've given back all the feedback and all the things, the coach says, okay, here's what you did well, here's what you can work on, et cetera. It is um, really important, however, that the facilitator, the expert, is also monitoring those triad activities because this is probably the first time the coaches have ever been coaches in these environments. And you uh, need to be able to trust that they are actually giving good feedback themselves. There's a lot of irony in the question you asked, right? Because you're asking them to give feedback, but it's really important that they are catching the nuances of the practice and practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. So, and what I mean by that is, when you are facilitating a triad group, or if you even have two people in a fishbowl, another tactic that I love in, when we're teaching feedback is to bring two volunteers up to the front of the room, one person to receive, one person to give the feedback. You can stop as they are doing it and go, I'm gonna stop you on purpose. Great job so far. Talk to me about that question you just asked. How did that, feel? okay, what's another way? So right in the moment, you're teaching that person, which means you're teaching the rest of the room and they're live and they're engaged and they're doing it. That is really the ideal way is first you do that 20%, you teach it on paper, you're hitting the learners, you're having people be engaged and then you practice it with direct feedback. That was incredibly long-winded, my friend. No, that was exactly what I was looking for. I know we were supposed to talk about overcoming obstacles, but I think for a lot of people, one of the biggest obstacles they face is A, having to sit in boring training or B, having to deliver training, not knowing how to do it, yes. especially if you're a subject matter expert. I mean, you're great at work on a thing, but now somebody says, can you teach everybody else how to do that? Mm -hmm. And maybe that gets overlooked. So from your perspective, when somebody is going through how trainers typically teach by reading PowerPoint slides to an audience, what percentage in your opinion is actually learning uh, of, of a group? Like say we have 20 people in a group, what percentage of people will leave that after two hours of death by PowerPoint saying, man, I'm so glad I went, I know exactly how to do it. So low, 
I want to say my gut says zero, mm-hmm. but I'm sure there are a few people who engage. I mean, I, and and it also depends on how critical this information is. I have seen those kinds of presentations when a company was going through a buy sell, which means people may or may not have had jobs. So people were wildly engaged because they were desperate for their jobs. So, nope, it was a very um, flaccid presentation, but the audience was wildly engaged because of their their attitudes and their needs. So it depends from that regard. If it is a, I'm going to now teach you how to, and it shows up like that, so few. It will be the people who like to learn from that particular way of instruction and who are rarely not uh, distracted, sure, they will. I can speak a little bit to how distracted our working culture is in general, however, and now even more so with the influence of these little devices and everything else that's going on. And I happen to know many people who do have and have been diagnosed at certain levels with ADHD and ADD and any other certain diagnoses. I have a a client who has superior processing disorder, which is a thing. It is not ADD. They take in information so fast that they're not listening to almost anything that's being said because they are working through they're, they want to be engaged, and, and in this case, he is engaged, but he, as soon as a little bit is taken in, he's like, and then he comes back. So it is sort of in a very succinct answer, my, my, I don't have a specific number, but it has to be very low. It has to be very low. And if you, if you have the opportunity to put some effort into your communication, why would you not is the question. And most of the time the answer is because they don't know any better. That person doesn't know a different way to do it and doesn't believe that training or communication can be, can show up in a different way. And if I may, we just, I I had to terminate a client actually because he was so adamant that training, just put it in a PowerPoint and we were not, we weren't the right fit for them as a consultancy, because we said, you, you've asked us to do X to elevate your people and onboard your people. And so we ultimately gave him exactly what he wanted. And it was a very challenging conversation that I had to have with him over time. And I said, we, it's done, but this, this will not get you to where you want. And ultimately we had to part ways. And it was, a, it was hard all around. Again, that's another podcast how to fire a client when the right time. I love it. Well, we got two more episodes after this now because we still got to talk about the obstacles. So yeah, now how to fire a client. Yeah, I like that one. That was an interesting one. That was that was very interesting, but I apologize, I digress. So the, the, the and now see now, what was your question? This happens to us whenever we talk, my friend. We could do this all day because now I yeah. forgot. Well, I've forgotten what I asked you. I think it was something around what percentage of people learn from death by PowerPoint, which you you said is probably very close to hardly anybody. I'm going to say less than 10, less than 10% would be my, okay. my gut answer. Yeah. It's just. And, it's and the purpose of this is not to, you know, just completely blast the world of PowerPoint. It's just that I have seen so many presentations that are so bad. And even when, you know, we, we go to try to, you know, do a lot of the HR conferences, We'll always get, you know, like, okay, we need your slides. 
by this date. And I think, well, I don't use slides. Well, you need slides. Like, no, I don't use slides. Well, Mm -hmm. we got to have slides. So, you know, we got to throw a few together to suffice. You're obviously not old enough to remember life before PowerPoint, Mm -hmm. Tina, but let's 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 pretend for a while and pretend (laughs) that you are. Um, What were people using before PowerPoint came? Because I think the earliest time I'd ever seen PowerPoint might have been about 1993. Might be the first time I saw Mm -hmm. it. And then Shortly before that, I was, I was in the military, so we would t- I was taking my college classes. We did uh, my degree in healthcare management. We would do that every other weekend, all day Saturday and Sunday. Uh, Southern uh-huh. Illinois University would fly professors in. But we had some guys in the Air Force, and they had this thing called Harvard Graphics. And they printed them on transparencies on top of the old overhead. And we were floored. We thought, oh, my God, it's so professional. We were uh-huh. using flip charts and writing things. And then PowerPoint came, and it seemed like it changed the game. Mm-hmm. What what was life based on like old people that you know that taught back in the day? What did people do before PowerPoint? You're, I love you so much that you think that I don't remember this. Uh, you're my new favorite person. So I survived, I did live through the, when I was at HBO, we had flip charts. And my favorite, I would go into my office to prepare and as did my colleagues. And we would come out with little colors all over our noses because we'd be smelling the colored markers as we were creating our, our flip chart. That's what they were. We would use we would use flip charts, but we had them set up as if they were PowerPoints. So we were like the future, I guess, right? And we'd be like, so then flip, flip. So much so that we would teach each other the best way to flip a flip chart. There were classes on that back in the day. Before that, we also used transparencies and transparencies were fabulous because first of all, there was no technological, besides a bulb burning out, and the flip charts also, nothing could break as long as you had it and the sand didn't break and the bulb didn't burn out and you could erase and put things back on it and it was it became almost interactive. So that's really what we use. My, my favorite, when I worked for Volkswagen and PowerPoint did exist, uh, this was in 99, I think it was. I had the majority of the East Coast, North, Northeast, and all of my tools were in my car. And I would walk in with a VHS player so there you go. On top was the projector. On top was my la- and the beefy laptop, you know, everything. So I had technology like this and they all, and I knew how to switch them back and forth and I would play all the things. Um, it was, wow, you really brought me back right there. I learned with all of that technology, the art of improv, because as you navigate through all that mess you have to be able to keep everyone engaged, not let them see what's going on behind the curtain as you're switching from the PowerPoint to the VHS back over to the music and all the things and keep them engaged and ask a question and then go click as if it meant nothing. Meanwhile, you were flop sweating, trying to make sure that everything was working succinctly. So, but yes, my friend, I do remember the having the films, having to carry the little films with me, absolutely. <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny because when we got PowerPoint when I was in the Navy, that's when I started doing training. And, you know, then it was great because I thought, wow, we're going to do these things on process improvement. And I remember for one presentation I did, I must have had 160 slides because mm-hmm. it's like, and there were little transition ones. And now we're going to talk about, and then the next slide would be, here's the thing. And, yes. you know, you'd have things fill in. But, you know, what probably was the best thing for me when I got out of the Navy, my first job was at UT Medical Group in Memphis. And 
the budget for training was ridiculously low and they mm -hmm. didn't have a laptop and they didn't have a projector. They had an overhead. Mm -hmm. And I had a budget where I could buy one box of printable transparencies a quarter. And that was the best thing that ever happened to me because I thought I can't afford to do those gigantic read PowerPoint slides to the audience anymore. I got to get creative and get good. And yeah. wow, that was the best thing for me. And then PowerPoint mm -hmm. came back, but I never looked at it with the same respect that I used to have because I thought it's too easy. And I think that's it's made college professors lazy. My daughter and son both said, you know, their professors basically sit there and read the PowerPoint slides to the group. And everybody's got a copy of the slides on their little, what are those little, uh, I have an iPad, the, the Microsoft version of it that you can write on the surface, I guess it is. And mm -hmm. that's a lecture. And yes. it's like, boy, for something that you're trying to really get an audience engaged, people are just half-assing it the whole time. Mm -hmm. So you're still, I would imagine, are you still a proponent of using multiple things? Now we don't have obviously the VHS, we're probably using, you know, I have my video clips all digitized and you can, you know, show them off your laptop or whatever. Music, mm -hmm. you pull up your Spotify playlist, um, you know, and you do things different. So are you using the same types of technology only more modern now? Exactly. And I love your story, by the way, how necessity breeded just creativity, right? You had well, to, so you did. And that's the best thing that ever happened to me, even though I was so, I'm like, right? just get us a projector, you know, I'll even buy one and just use it. But I thank God I didn't, you know, I, I, we definitely do still, we, we use technology. There's no question about it. I use as little as possible for the primary reason that when I walk by a copier at work, it shorts out. I touch technology and it just goes wrong. So I try to just not have it. Number one. Number two, technology is fabulous, especially for videos and for music and for ease. I mean, let's be honest, it's just so much, you know, so I'm like, can you put on the music? Boop, MP3, as I used to have, again, the CD player and, the, and so much equipment. So we definitely use it. I like to keep it to a minimum because it's not needed. Human condition doesn't need all of these things. And if I hear the word, well, is it innovative? One more time. That's my bingo word with certain organizations. I'm like, okay, yes. I mean, I smile. I have to smile. But that, there's no question that one day in a meeting soon, I'm going to go bingo and nobody will know what I'm saying. Whatever. Um, so the, the most innovative that I personally, of course, I use my laptop and I love PowerPoints. PowerPoints are cheat sheets. That's their job to keep you organized and focused and whatnot and ha and keep everything written consistent, right? And also provide the anchor for the visual learners and, and all the things. But I love my videos. So when I can play a video to help teach the thing or bring home a point or whatever it is, I will absolutely use it, click, boom, knowing that if it doesn't work, that I'll have a backup to be able to speak to it, show it a different way, send it to them immediately on their phones, whatever the thing is. But that is that's really and not too much more complicated than that, quite frankly. So when you use a video, you're not using like the old CRM films, boring training videos. What are you using for video? I use with a lot of what we have created movie clips. OK. It, for, for the obvious reason that it, it immediately gets engagement and, and um, attention and it's remembered at of course, we then we relate it to whatever it is. I remember using Tommy Boy. If everyone remembers that movie, Tommy Boy, lots of sales references. We were teaching this two-day intensive for, I think it was Volkswagen, and we would play and pull, play and pull, and have people, and it was fun. Now, 
And ex a training experience, a learning and development experience can be fun. It can be um, funny. However, if it's more entertaining than it is learning, then it's no longer a training experience. And when I, I'm getting off topic a little bit, but when we hire facilitators, the ones who have the smiley sheets, oh, Brian was so hilarious, blah, blah, blah. And nothing about the content or what was, we know that we have entered into the wrong direction. So again, an experience can be fun and engaging by using these videos, but the most part is they're, they're connected to the learning. That's my, that's usually my favorite. Well, you know, one, one thing I get criticized quite a bit with, because I'll use video clips as well, is, and I'll get this on the, the smile sheets at the end. You know, we like the video clips, but you need to use newer movies. And, and we've recently got this one too. We need you to use uh, more diverse people in your video clips. And yes. so, you know, in full disclosure here, I'm more of an older movie kind of a guy because nowadays, all unless you like superheroes and sequels, there's nothing to go see at the movie theater. So mm -hmm. I tend to watch a lot of older movies. And I guess I justify it by saying the movies are not here for your entertainment. They're here to make a point. And so, yeah, it may be an old movie from the 80s, but I want you to watch it not in the context of being entertained, but so I want you to see how this, this concept plays out with human beings actually doing it. And sometimes I'll preemptively say that so I don't have to worry about getting the same critiques on a smile sheet at the end. Mm -hmm. But is that kind of what you do or do you try to really keep up with the most current things? Absolutely not. If that's the ideal movie to make the point and teach the lesson, then that's what we go with. And if a student or a per an attendee gives that kind of a feedback, then I'll stop and say, so what'd you get out of it? What's really going on for you right now? Why are you distracted by that? It could be, it could be just that the, the that particular 20 year old, uh, I said it, I said it, there we go. I just got gender biased, I'm not gender biased, I just got generation <laughs> bias. Um, but it, to stereotype, the, the certain generations they are more apt to be opinionated about certain things. And that's fine. That is absolutely fine. Thank you for being so brave and opinionated about that point. Let me ask you a question. So it sounds like you were distracted from the learning. Because if that's what you're thinking about, then what's going on for you right now? That's where, that's what I would want to know for that person who had the time to come up to you, my friend, and actually give feedback around that is if you were thinking about that, that means that you weren't, you weren't taking in what I needed you to take in, what I wanted you to take in, what the point of this lesson was. So what was going on for you right there? And sometimes it's us. Sometimes the, the way I set something, it just didn't work, didn't work. And I've had, and I can see it. I can, at this point in my career, after 25 years, I can smell it. And I'll go up to somebody and go, come here for a second, what's up? And they're like, and, and again, it, sometimes it's just me. And I'm like, good to know. Thanks very much. And then we shift or whatever it is. And a lot of the time it's the person and what's really going on for them. But that's the, no, I would not. If I find the right ideal, if Casablanca is what I need to show up on the screen and make the point, then that's, then that's what we're going to use. All right. Good to know. All right. So I feel a little bit better about using my old movies now. This is good. I want to take one of your classes just to see what you've got now. I'm excited. We even show clips from the Twilight Zone, like the old black and white TV show. I know. think it's out your job to introduce these classics to this new generation. On our team, we uh, there's uh, 
a couple of us on the team are in our 50s and we have for our new kids who are being onboarded again i shouldn't say that but we have a list these are the movies that you have to watch within the first three months of you working here animal house but and we just go through the list of movies. what footloose was on there once because i i did i had a new I mean, I was like, okay, we need to sit down. We need to have a conversation around the past. Um, I think it's great. I absolutely think it's ideal. So it's a twofer. You teach them something and also you introduce them to some classics. Well, I guess, well, there's also, I think, I've seen it in my my younger kids, an interest in like old music, you know? So mm -hmm. like my daughter, she's uh, 22. And, you know, she'll listen. She's oh yeah, listen to the oldies. Like, well, what do you mean oldies? Well, yeah, 80s music, like... All right. Well, that's not really oldies because I listened to that and it wasn't oldies back then. Yeah. Tell you her know. to send me a cane, please. Yeah, there you go. Well, I just wheel me over so I can listen to my Walkman, right? <laughs> but but I love that. Now, so let me ask you this. Now, you've really given us some great pointers on doing what was pre-pandemic learning. You know, the old e-learning was, you know, you'd have like, because I remember probably, when was it, 1999, like the big thing was, e-learning, e-learning, e-learning. That's when I dropped out of ATD, it was ASTD, because that's all they talked about was e-learning. Yeah. Now that now that mm -hmm. became a necessity with COVID. And now, you know, we, you know, I was telling you before we started, I hadn't flown anywhere for doing live training, God, since February of 2019 or 2020. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But wow, with Zoom, you know, out of necessity, then we really tried to up the game. And we still used our video clips. I do, did the drawing thing with a document camera. We tried, desperately to make it come alive. And I think we did a good job at it. Now we're seeing the transition. And like I said this morning, we were supposed to, so this is, you know, one person shows up to my workshop. That's very disappointing. I don't take it personal, but I kind of do. Mm -hmm. But this is where we're going. We're going back to live audiences. So is it possible that the Zoom learning, I won't call it e-learning, but maybe Zoom learning, is that going to mm -hmm. stick with us or is that going to be within a couple of years, just we don't do that anymore? What do you think? I believe that it's going to stick. It's more widely acceptable now. However, people are desperate for human interaction and human contact. So I think that that we're going to we're going to we're going to resume some normal normalcy with an abridged version. And I'll give you a perfect example. Now, um, we, we do a lot of coaching as well as training. And coaching is where you ask others big, hairy questions that they would never ask themselves so they can have a new thought, right? Pretty simple. Everyone wanted it in person, pandemic proof. Oh, we can do it in the 45 minutes this way. And now no one wants it in person. So that shifted from that perspective. From a training perspective, learning and development, we can do it this way out of convenience only for so many great reasons. So um, we were onboarding somebody new and we needed to get them some pre-information. And so instead of flying them in to do whatever it was that would have taken X amount of time, we were able to do it this way, make it very engaging, as engaging as it can be within the realm of the cameras, you can still support adult learning and make it short. So I think that it is here to stay, but not as a replacement, not as a replacement for what's right. Listen, form follows function. When you're designing a training experience, a workshop, something where you need to deliver skills, instructor-led is the way to go every day and twice on Sunday. However, if there are pre-work, post-work, 
where we can do it this way and make it so much more flexible on people's schedule and travel and all that, then why would you not, why would you not use it? Um, and co- it's really cost effective, right? But just remember that we can't chicken out when we do it this way. We can't say, well, it's Zoom, it's Skype. We can't make it interactive. Yes, you can. It takes even more work and it can be done. Uh, and the other, and I'll just put a bow on it by saying this, when we do use this, it has to be short. It has to be short and about one thing. You cannot have a full-blown two-day workshop this way and expect the results that you would get from an instructor-led workshop. You just It's, it's just apples and zebras, very different entities. Uh, so again, long-winded way of saying it absolutely will not replace. I think it's a great value add and it can be used for certain times when you can just, you can get the point across and still make it interactive, short, and you can be financially responsible. No, I like that. Well, the last question I have for you, and it kind of goes back to what you just said. So with Verge, with the online, it's short. What about when you're in a live group of humans? What would you recommend for, you know, how long before we do breaks? The, a great facilitator, never has the word break up on their PowerPoint because it's a gut feel. You really have to go by by the room, you, you know when it's time. So I would say every hour for sure, if for no, especially if you're not designing a lot of interactivity into what you're doing, people need to get up and move. So I would say that, but again, if you're right in the middle of something and it's really intense and people are listening and engaged, don't take the break because the slide said so, move on and go gang, are you, and ask permission. How many, listen, you guys want to, I know we've been sitting for about an hour. You okay? Do you want to move to the next thing? Yeah, let's just keep going. All right, let's just keep going. So uh, not a succinct answer, brother, but I would say approximately every hour, but just watch and look and take in what the audience and follow their lead, follow their lead for sure. But don't be late for lunch. No, no, that's the one, that's the one deadline and getting out of there, you know? Yes. Hundred uh, percent over over promise and under and over promise under deliver. Wait, no, under pro- what's the thing? What am it's I trying to say? Over under promise and over deliver. Over deliver. I'm a professional facilitator, ladies and gentlemen. That is great. Yes, whatever you just said, that's, that's what you want to do with lunch and with leaving. Tell them we go till five, and then if you can get them out by four thirty, up uh, you're the hero. They're so happy. Life is good. Yeah. Yes. I'll kind of end with this story. I was teaching, I did some adjunct work for a large, I guess, training company that hires hired guns like I used to be to do training. And so as the, this is 2008, 2009, as the economy was tanking and of course nobody went to training. So I went to this on-site in their headquarters place where it was a three-day workshop designed for 30 people. Instead, they moved us into a conference room because there was four attendees for three days and we essentially got through the material in a day and a half, probably closer to a day. So I had to basically make stuff up for a day and a half. And I told him go, but sneak down the back steps because the, the conference center coordinator was, you know, he'd walk around, hey, you, you, you can't let your people go yet. You know, they got to stay. I'm like, no, nah, that ain't going to work. So mm-hmm. I love the flexibility that you can do as a facilitator, as a trainer by reading your audience. Tina, this is very disappointing because I wanted to find out about the five ways to overcome obstacles. But I think I like where this went today and it gave me a chance to have you back on the show again to talk about that. 
But for the audience who's listening today, I understand that you probably get tapped to give presentations. And it's typically on things like changes in your benefits and changes in your, you know, your uh, whatever compensation, whatever stuff like that, that is already set up to be boring. My hope is that our conversation with Tina today will give you some ideas on how to do that better. And especially if you're having to pass along bad or unpopular news, boy, you, you can't just phone that one in. So Tina, I am grateful for all of the wisdom you shared with us today and uh, for being flexible with the time. So, uh, I'm not going to say goodbye forever because we're going to have you back, but I want to at least say thank you for today. This was really, really insightful, and I appreciate you taking the time to share with us. Thank you for being flexible. And if you didn't just invite me back, I was going to invite myself back. So <laughs> now, consider yourself invited. <laughs> I look forward to it. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. We hope you found something today that will relieve your stress, feed your soul, and pump you up to face another day. At Boss Builders, we want to let you know that we appreciate the hard work you do every day as an HR professional. And as a reminder, always make sure to adjust your own oxygen mask before attempting to help those around you. Be well. <laughs>